Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy. Sorry uh, for my hoarseness, I have a bit of a cold right now. But our guest today is St. Paul Mayor Chris Coleman. Chris Coleman took office as the mayor of St. Paul in 2006 after spending several years as a city council member for Ward 2. He was elected for a second time in 2009, and for his re-election in 2013, he received 78% of the vote. He attended the University of Minnesota as an undergrad and later as a law student, and after graduating, he worked for eight years in Hennepin County as a public defender and prosecutor. Mr. Coleman is currently seeking uh, the DFL nomination for 2018 gubernatorial office, a.k.a. he's running for governor. We were very happy to have him on the show. Uh, He was willing to cross the dividing line of the Twin Cities and make his way into hostile Minneapolis. It was a super interesting show because he talked about his legacy of what he accomplished while he was in office, what he was most proud of, what he was surprised by, and then uh, later talked about what he hoped to accomplish if he were elected governor. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our media sponsor for the season, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find all that information at www.minpost.com. That's everything. All right, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for being here. It's good to be here. Thank I'm you. So, and you came all the way over from uh, the St. Paul. You got to, what I assume, catch a train and there was a layover and uh, uh, with the ferry is still yes. running, I hope, at this yes, hour. Yes, could we get on with it? Because it leaves at 8.05 <laughs> and I That's need to good. be back on That's that good. thing. Um, so, uh, so excited. So you, uh, you are at the tail end of your, your three terms as, as mayor of St. Paul. Um, and so there's been a lot uh, that you've, you've done in that time. I am just uh, sort of, I, when you think about sort of back then, I guess maybe just one place to start is what surprised you most about being mayor for what, what happened over that time that you weren't expecting probably most? <laughs> uh, that's hard to say. Cause uh, I have a really short memory. <laughs> uh, but there, you know, there's just been so many great things that have happened over the last 12 years. It's uh, there's been a lot of new vitality in, in St. Paul. The lower town area is just going crazy. All of the uh, the Green Line, the transportation, the investments that are still coming, like the soccer stadium, Palace Theater, which is like the great new music venue in the Twin Cities. We love that. Um, so there's just a whole lot of, of things. Uh, but probably what surprised me the most is. Uh, how angry people get when you don't plow the streets properly. It, they get really mad. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember that we uh, ran into each other at a conference in St. Paul, and, and I introduced myself, and I said, oh, you know, I love St. Paul. And your response was, it's a very easy place to live, which I think is like a wonderful sort of like, it, that should be it's sort so of... so Minnesotan to say yeah. something like that, and it's, even more St. Paulite to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, well, uh, you know. get busy living or get busy, uh, just get whatever. <laughs> just be busy. It's fine. Just uh, busy work. So I was going to – so St. Paul is uh, one of the most livable cities in the – medium-sized cities in the United States, correct? Declared by me. De- well, but yeah, also yeah. By, by Forbes, I believe, said it's one of the – Sure, the, them okay. too. Good, yeah, yes. Yeah. Most <laughs> livable – it's on the city website, so <laughs> I, I, I can't figure out how to navigate that That's, thing. <laughs> it's we, we need an upgrade. I was going to say, it's also, though, to just to be complete, it's – 24th worst dress city in America, and I'm wondering. No. No. I'm wondering if those two things are related. Maybe well, it's like easy living because you don't have to dress. Yeah, but particularly. Uh, no, I actually. Yeah, we, uh, easy, but please dress in the winter. It gets very dangerous to go outside <laughs> naked. 
Uh, I don't know. At the same time, we also were the uh, Lower Town was the hippest zip code in America. So maybe it was the skinny jeans that kind of lowered the <laughs> ratings and uh, the, the thick rim glasses. Uh, but I get all my clothes from Jaime's Haberdashery, and I like to think I'm kind of styling. So, you know. All your clothes? Well, they don't. Just, si- you already said it. So, um, <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, uh, let's talk about some uh, issues that are in the news because you're you're still mayor, you're still running a city right now. Um, I don't know what you're doing here. There's things to deal with, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I'm glad um, to be here. So, uh, so a few things. So right now, uh, St. Paul is is uh, we're still working on the budget, right? Uh, or well, right. A uh, couple of things we're waiting for the legislature to do or not do whatever they're going to do or not do. Don't hold your um, breath. No, I I don't. That's why I'm. Uh, and so we're kind of waiting to see what happens there. Uh, we start putting our budget together, you know, in, in the next month or so. And then in August, we actually deliver the budget. Then the council deliberates on it and then we pass it in December. So no, we're not working on the budget at all. Why did you ask that? Well, I was, I, mean, gonna, I, I was trying to do I was trying to do a setup for like the really sexy issue of street assessments. Uh, uh, street is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Somebody already uh, booed me. Yeah. Um, no, but so this is like a, a and I, I don't even know it, how to sort of, I, that was my, it, my attempt to make this sort of engaging and interesting. We don't like, know how either. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's the, uh, there's this issue that uh, St. Paul was uh, con- uh, sort of assessing uh, maintenance and things like that as uh, street assessments. And then the Minnesota Supreme Court said that it's actually a tax. And so I, yeah, you well, could probably well, explain, hopefully okay, you can here, explain it better here, than I can. Here's the, here's the, uh, the serious side of this issue. Yeah. In 2003, the then mayor did not want to raise taxes, uh, to do city services like plowing streets and trimming trees and all of those things. And so he said, well, we won't raise taxes, but we'll put these assessments on homeowners. Uh, I mean, the good side of it was then all the nonprofits, the colleges, the government buildings, all those things would pay something into the into the city services. Uh, but the bad thing was the Supreme Court came along and said, actually, no, that's illegal. You can't do it that way. And if you're going to assess, you have to go through a, pro- a public process and it has to be on the property taxes, et cetera. So it's a $30 million hole for us that we got to solve, uh, which is uh, <clears throat> a little painful. In my, I was kind of trying to figure out how I could pass this on to my, su- my uh, successor because I just wanted to make sure that they have something to do. That's uh, nice. But I haven't, I haven't figured hey, out how to dodge hey, that one Hey, here's yet, a so. buck. <laughs> I'd like you to have it, uh, successor. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but, so what will you do? Uh, what are you going to do with that? So, uh, you know, at some point we're going to just – uh, just switch over the you know the color of money as it were you know we'll, well instead of calling it an assessment we're going to call it a property tax uh, so for most homeowners an average valued home won't see a difference lower valued homes might actually see a decrease um, but some of the businesses and some of the higher valued homes will probably see uh, a bit of a uh, of a hit does the fact that it's a tax change that can you not do it then for things like churches and nonprofits and things like that? Right. So we lose we lose uh, some of those. And that's actually we're having a process. Uh, Sean Kershaw from the Citizen League is running a, a, a kind of a just a, a conversation around whether or not we can figure out how to work with our churches and nonprofits for a, a voluntary payment. Some other cities are doing this. Um, it's kind of an interesting concept to say, would you just voluntarily pay yeah. the city some money? I think this is uh, so fascinating. Yeah. So just to flesh this out a little bit, uh, so the Citizens League, uh, friends of the show, are working with the city. on looking at a way – I believe the figure is something like a third of all property in, yep. in St. Paul is either you know state-owned or federally-owned or uh, a nonprofit. Yep. Church, so, university, 
schools. So the city can't tax yeah. any of that. So the right. so basically, and speaking of Minnesota things, you're. I, I'm assuming the, this is a commission to shame these places into well, just yeah. sort of like to be like, <clears throat> well, the uh, Trinity Lutheran down the street gave $45. Right. Well, I, I do nothing if I don't do Catholic guilt. I mean, after, after, uh, after 12 years of Catholic schools, I kind of figured I know how to do this. And I just go, really? So I guess you don't want there to be police officers protecting our citizens in the city of St. Paul. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> Okay, good. I, well, what do you need? Um, did, that, did that not work? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll work on it. it so is it's that? For, it's for how, the kids. It is. It's so for is the that children. how? I mean, how does? <laughs> I, I'm honestly. I know that this is. We're only at the beginning of this process. But when you've looked at other cities that have done this, it, how how does that actually play out and work? Uh, well, we, you know, Boston is kind of the number one example, and they've been doing it for years. But they have institutions like Harvard and some of these other that have more money than God, and uh, so it's a little bit easier for them. Uh, we have modest institutions like St. Thomas and St. Kate's and others, and so so we'll see how it plays out. You know, we don't expect it to be a huge revenue source, but if it can help us kind of smooth out some of the bumps, that would be a good thing. And and you know, we our police officers, our firefighters, our paramedics, our you know, we plow the streets around all these institutions, so they do receive services for for what we do. Uh, and uh, you know, we but we also understand what a valuable asset they are. We have eleven colleges and universities in the city of St. Paul. Uh, that is a huge thing for us, uh, and we want to make you know make sure that they're s strong and support it. Uh, but if they gave us a little money, that would be okay too. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a strong sell right there. Uh, yeah. That's good. Um, that's uh, a, but we're the most livable city. Don't you want to stay that way? Sure. Um, so, um, oh, uh, so uh, again, in doing very cursory research for this show, I looked at a few images and it appeared to me that basically St. Paul has a system where people pick up their own garbage and put it into their pickup trucks and bring it to City Hall. <laughs> um, is, yeah. that, is that how waste management works in the city or did I miss something? Well... We like to do things a little differently in St. Paul, and uh, and and so it's uh, you know it's uh, that's a, that's an interest. Boy, that's a long story. How much time do we have? So hey man, okay, so here's the, so here's the serious side on that one. Uh, so obviously, if uh, if there's a freeway running through your town, that right away and everything belongs to the state of Minnesota. Uh, and challenges in St. Paul, Minneapolis, cities across America. We have a tr you know a tremendous problem with homelessness. Uh, it's an issue that we've been working on. We just built the Dorothy Day's new facility. Uh, we're continually trying to do yeah. everything that we can to get people off the streets. But in the meantime, there's a lot of folks that are living under bridges, and they tend to collect a lot of things, and it's unsightly. Um, we were working with the state. Everybody says, well, you're just pointing fingers. We were actually working at the state so that the taxpayers of St. Paul weren't responsible for what ultimately was a state issue, which was to clean up their right-of-way. And we had the state coming out on the, the Monday after the, this big kind of stage show happened on Sunday. Uh, we had it all arranged to have this area cleaned up. Um, and so I, I think there was a little bit more uh, production value than there was a, a serious issue. But we took it seriously. We apologized for the mess. And, yeah. and, and we, don't, you know, we don't like to have that be the condition of the city. And, um, but it's, it was, it's a longer-term issue than just one incident. And so that one incident is something um, – the city, though, is also looking at um, 
actually creating a, a trash system for the whole city because right now it's sort of smaller independent yeah, uh, yeah and it's still it still will be i mean it's it's amazing and i don't know if this is just a saint paul thing or not people love their trash haulers i mean like they know their families they know their kids they get christmas presents for them on you know every year and i mean this is a big thing and we want to keep i i love the small businesses and and a lot of these businesses are two or three people they might father and son and daughter i mean that may be the whole business uh and so we want to keep those folks but there's a whole lot of uh, places in the city of St. Paul that have no trash collection. And so what happens is the people don't you know, put their stuff in front of City Hall. They actually just throw it back into the alley. Uh, it's a lot easier to clean it up if it's in front of my office. Um, it's a little harder when it's spread out across alleys all across the city of St. Paul. So um, this uh, provides, the first thing it does is it provides make, uh, at, Pick up everywhere in the city, so there isn't, there cannot be an address where there's no trash collection, and that's is, a huge. Are issue. there places right now where there's? If you're if you're oh, in wow. a poor neighborhood, uh, drive down an alley, and you'll see the landlords. Unfortunately, a lot of them don't take responsibility for it, so there's no garbage can. So people that are living there think they're getting garbage service, and they're not. Um, so that's number one. Number two, we have some. Sometimes we have 15 trucks going down an alley in the city of St. Paul. These are all heavy trucks. The wear and tear just on the alleys alone from having all of these vehicles going up and down the alleys on a regular basis uh, is a huge problem and costs the city a lot of money. So what, we, what we're doing, Bloomington has done organized tax collection. Minneapolis has had a hybrid system of organized collection for a long time. Um, we are just saying, you know what, we need consistent service for everybody in the city of St. Paul, and let's not have 15 trucks going through the alley uh, at 6 o'clock every morning. Yeah, yeah, I was waiting for applause. That's, yeah. Trash is so sexy. Yeah, it is. It's a <laughs> um, so uh, y- there are. Uh, you're not running for re-election. And thank you mayor. for not asking about recycling. Uh, <laughs> we have a whole second half to the show. Oh. Um, so, uh, so, but I was. This is more fun. So you have. Uh, there are five folks running um, to be your successor to to get um, mm-hmm. the the thirty million dollar hole that you want to leave them. So. Um, yeah. So I, I just you've said very publicly that you're not going to endorse right. uh, any of them. But if you were going to endorse one, who would it be? <laughs> uh, they're not in the race. No, no. Uh, here, here's the rule. So first of all, I think that the it's not the job of the current mayor to tell people who the future mayor should be. I think it's up to the citizens of the city of St. Paul to make that decision. Uh, the bigger problem is I've had multiple, uh, many of these candidates at my cabin, and I could never endorse against anyone who's been at my cabin. Uh, and so that's just a hard and fast rule for me. Is there anybody that you would definitely not, in, like, do an unendorsement <laughs> right now? Let me, let me tell you characteristics who, of who I don't think should be uh, a, a person Are we who... playing, like, Kangman right now? Like, or, <laughs> like is it going to be charades? Or? No, no, okay. no. No, I, I, look, I think... Mayors, mayors have to be the biggest cheerleaders for their city of anyone. They have to be the person that's out there boosting their city, that's you know holding their city together through through difficult times. Uh, there are moments, you know, when when someone has been shot in the in your community that are moments of great tragedy, young, a young life lost. Um, there are moments of you know of celebration. Uh, 
I was hoping the Wild would win the Stanley Cup before I left, but um, you know, but they're, they're you know, they're, so the the mayor has to be that person, and they have to have a positive visit, vision for their community. So someone who's coming just as I hate everything that City Hall is is doing, and I'm against this, I'm against that. I mean, there are people that were against CHS Stadium, which is one of the great success stories. There are people against uh, the two hundred million dollar privately funded soccer stadium that that will provide bring the world's game to the to the state of Minnesota and um, the diversity of the fo of the folks that are following soccer it was a really it's a true reflection of our community there are people that hate it the light rail line there are people that hate it they hate the new bars I mean there are people that like just hate everything hmm. um, so I don't think that's a good I don't think that's a good uh, position paper for running for mayor okay uh, so uh, as long as you don't hate everything, you at least you got a chance in the. It the helps to hate one or two things, you yeah. know, just so you can get the you know your blood boiling. But, yeah. But you should like most. You should you should have a positive vision. That's good. Okay, yeah. that's broad. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> hey, speaking of running for things, you're gonna you you are running for governor uh, right now, which I my first and I uh, so I, I've asked other folks who have announced that they're running for governor. Uh, our, our gubernatorial election is in 2018. Yeah. Was it that you saw like? Oh man, 2016 was so much fun. We can't let that yeah, go yeah, away. Why, like yeah. we gotta, why, we gotta keep going. Why let that opportunity pass? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Why not just have a never-ending election? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's actually not what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> what? Why but, so early? Why well, jump in now? First of all, Minnesota is a huge state. Uh, you, you know, I, I went up to to uh, Thief River Falls in Roseau in February, and uh, we flew up to. Uh, Thief River Falls, and then drove another two hours to get up to to Roseau and War Road. I mean, this is a this is a big, huge state. Uh, and if you're really going to go out and do what I think you need to do to run for governor, which is to talk with folks, listen to them, hear what their concerns are, hear what their hopes and aspirations are, and figure out how we can bring the state together, not pit Minneapolis and St. Paul versus the rest of the state, which some people are trying to do. Um, you need to do that by being present and being out there. Um, and so I started running in December, um, and when I thought about it, I said, wow, that's 24 months. Well, five of those months have already gone by, and it's gone by like that. So this will be, uh, in some ways, it will, it will seem like a long time, but it will go by very quickly. And, and I'm so glad you brought up that, uh, that divide that so many people have talked about, rural and urban, and we've talked about it on the show before. I mean, I, I, to be fair, I think that that's one of the things that a, a lot of people who would say that they're nervous maybe about, uh, you, uh, you know, voting for you or endorsing you or something along those lines might say is they're like, you know, oh, we're, we've got this divide going. Like, is a, is a Twin Cities mayor the person that we need to sort of be out in greater Minnesota pe preaching the, the I, DFL gospel? Well, I, I think that the, the key is finding out the things that are we share in common. And the fact of the matter is, whether you're in, uh, in Virginia, Minnesota, or you're in Rochester, or you're in, on the east side of St. Paul or the north side of Minneapolis, your, your concerns are, do I have a job? Uh, do I have the ability to put food on my table and pay the mortgage or the rent? Uh, do my kids have a good education? Is there a future for them uh, here in this community? Um, are the bridges safe to drive over? I mean, you, you know, you start going through one after another, and we have many points of common interest, regardless of where you are in the state of Minnesota. 
But there are people that try to d exploit the fact that we have you know, differences in geography or differences in, in kind of how we would approach any of those issues, uh, and they use them as wedge issues. Um, but I think that we need to start connecting the plight of a, of a miner in northern Minnesota that hasn't had a job for three or four years because of layoffs uh, with the plight of a young kid in North Minneapolis that hasn't had a job uh, because of a lack of education or a lack of kind of vision or, or kind of uh, someone to help them along the road. Um, a couple of years ago, when when the Malax farm or the Malax uh, resort owners uh, were s struggling because of the limits on how many walleye you could catch on Malax, uh, they were going to call a special session on that one. Now, I think that that was an important issue because I think we should take care of folks like that. But you know, for for generations, people in parts of our communities have been calling for help uh, for getting jobs and a better education and better housing and safe places to live. Um, and it shouldn't take the plight of, of a person in, in one part of Minnesota to finally get people in other Minnesota, parts of Minnesota to, to get the help that they've needed for generations. And we need to connect those two dots. And when we do, everyone's boat will be lifted and we can actually move the state forward. I, I, and I That's a, I, that's a beautiful vision. I, I, I guess I, I still struggle with, well, then help me understand how did we get to a point where it does seem like there's this divide? Because I don't think that, you know, what you're talking about, uh, I think I've heard other folks say and that, you know, we're not as different as, as we think we are. And, and I very much agree with that. But, you know, the, the voting patterns and the ways that people have organized themselves in, in different senses has looked very starkly different in different parts of the state over the last 10 to 15 years. So why was that and how do you change that? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I think that there are cycles in politics and there are ebbs and flows. And I think that, you know, let's pray to God that 2016 was as low as it goes uh, and and that we start re rebuilding that and I think that the people that that are kind of in desperation voted for a candidate like Trump are going to realize that he wasn't the solution to their problems and we can get back to a serious conversation about jobs and economic development and education and some of those things I mean the, the, the fact of the matter is there are no easy choices in the decisions that we make uh, a third of the state budget 40 uh, 40 or 40 percent of the state budget goes to k-12 education uh, and so it's not like we're not investing a lot of money in K-12 education, but we're not getting the results that we need for all of our kids, and, and people are frustrated by that. Uh, we haven't passed a bonding bill in two or three years, and, and we have bridges that are in the city of St. Paul that are desperately in need of a, a replacement, uh, and potholes across the state of Minnesota that aren't getting filled, and projects that we could be working on. Um, we haven't had a tax bill, you know, which, which would have provided tax relief for taxpayers across the state of Minnesota. Uh, and so people are frustrated by this kind of division. People are frustrated by the wedge issues. Uh, and I think that there will always be out there, folks out there trying to you know, continue to divide because they profit by the divide. Uh, but I think the majority of Minnesotans are ready for a change and they're ready to move the state forward and they're actually ready to talk to each other instead of at each other. So uh, I, I love this is a this is a great vision uh, for Minnesota coming together. Give me a few or give me one or two of your sort of top policy pieces that you actually are saying, you know, if uh, th these are a couple of the things that I, I'm pointing to that I want to get these um, moving forward in terms to actually yep. try and make some of that happen. So uh, economic development and jobs is important, and I think one of the ways you do that is to help cities, uh, as we have done in the city of St. Paul, determine their own destinies and provide them. Not, don't tell them what they have to do. Tell them how they can do it or ask them how, they, how the state can be helpful in that, uh, help them uncover uh, the potential that they have within their own towns. I was meeting this uh, this afternoon 
with folks up in uh, Carleton County, and we were talking about uh, things that we could do to reforest the, the forests that have been uh, taken off for, for timber and for paper and all kinds of things, um, and do that as an economic development strategy that also serves the environmental issues. Uh, and that could be that just kind of one idea that, that we talked about this afternoon. Uh, education is obviously critically important because it's the future for everything. You know, education has always been my job strategy, it's been my economic development, my housing strategy. Uh, it's all those things, but how we approach it that could maybe save money in the long run is an important thing. There's tons of research that says the brain development that happens between zero and three uh, is the most fundamental period of time in a child's life. And a lot of kids aren't getting the resources that they need, uh, so by the time we get them even to a pre-K program, they're already behind because they haven't been read to, sung to, talked to. Uh, those are simple things that don't cost a lot of money. Uh, a healthcare provider, when a, when a mom comes in for a well baby check, if they hand they that, should they, sing, sing absolutely. Uh, not, I don't know. I've never really heard you sing, so maybe not for you. Uh, but it's good. Uh, you could maybe talk. Yeah. But I mean, you think about how simple this could be because it it isn't. There's no magic words that have to be spoken. They just have to, words have to be spoken. And and so you could give a, a, a an adult, maybe an adult who doesn't have tremendous literacy skills themselves, give them a picture book and just say, spend ten minutes three times a day just describing the pictures in this book and and relate them back to your story. If if they did that to a child for for the first three years of that child's life, um, they would that child would be well on on his or her way to being successful. Uh, someone said it, and it's the it, this image has stuck with me more than anything else. They said if a child doesn't have the brain development that they need between the ages of zero and three, everything else that we do is like curing polio by building a better iron lung. I mean that is just an image that has stuck with me, and so we've got to reach back. And it's not a nanny state; it's not a you know telling parents Although, all their. I, I mean, it literally is. Sounds like a potentially a nanny. Like we would hire no, a lot of nannies. No. no um, it, it now I've got nanny and the professor in my head, which is really a weird thing. Um, but it it is. Do you know the number one reasons why parents don't read to their children? Because books are they bad. don't they don't have books they don't have books. Oh, they literally yeah. don't have books in their house. And so if our health care providers partnered with us, and some of them do, Health Partners has been working on projects like this, uh, and started providing, and, and, a, and a lot of it is just teaching parents the importance of it. There are certain cultures for whom talking to a child until they're able to talk back to you is kind of not, not taboo necessarily, but just not something you necessarily would do. Um, and so in California, they have this whole advertising campaign that just says, talk, sing, read. Uh, and do it early on and do it as often as you can, and it makes a huge difference. And so you think about all of these pro dollars that we're spending on remedial programs for, for kids as they get into preschool and to kindergarten and beyond. Um, we, could, we could streamline a lot of that, reduce the need for a lot of that, uh, if we would just take some basic steps early on. That's, that's a pretty simple step that we could do, uh, and, it, and it would have almost immediate results. So uh, I should say one more time that uh, we're going to open it up for everyone to uh, ask questions of our guests. Oh, you guests. didn't tell me that. Oh. <laughs> hey, get this man a beer. Um, and, uh, and so with that, please, a big round of applause. We're going to take uh, our guests off the stage. Big round of applause, Mayor Chris Goldman. I have a question for our guest. Please raise your hand, and I will race towards you. And it, I don't even, well, right here in the front, this, I don't even have to go very far. Good evening. <laughs> Have you ever considered holding the roads hostage and not repaving them? 
holding the roads hostage. Till you collect money, since there seem to be so many, which are now mud. Who Saint would we, Paul? Who yeah. would we threaten if they didn't pay us? Anybody who wants to come into town. Uh, we like, but we like visitors. We like, we, we I've, I've spent 12 wow. years trying to get people to come to St. Paul to go, you know, you don't really have to go to Minneapolis. We have bars. We have, we have bars. So we're trying, you know, just get through those potholes and dash around. And, and actually, uh, now we have uh, 3,000 more lakes. So it's all good. I, let, I, I said at the beginning that, you know, it's an easy place to live should be your city slogan. But no, it should be, you don't have to go to Minneapolis. That should be just the city slogan. Um, all right, uh, other questions. And if you have questions in the back, I really will race towards you, but you have to raise your hand. Um, I know that you went back there probably so that I wouldn't harass you, but still. What's your plan for the emerald ash borer? Well, why, why thank you uh, for that. Um, my therapist says that whenever anyone asks, um, I should just take a deep breath. And No, we've gone through this before. Uh, we went through it with Dutch elm disease in the 70s. It's horrible. It is absolutely, it's, it, it, is, it changes the landscape of the city. Um, the unfortunate thing is there's not a lot that you can do about it. There's some evidence that you can treat trees, and uh, you can do it on a yearly basis, but there's a tremendous unknown about the pesticides that we're using on those things. Minneapolis Park Board has actually said we're not going to treat trees because we don't want all those pesticides going into the environment that would be necessary. Um, so we are devoting as many resources as we can to eradicate, which may, unfortunately means getting rid of the trees, and then we'll plant as quickly as we can, but unfortunately... I think we've taken out 1,700 trees already in the city of St. Paul. Uh, it is really expensive to do this. Put it in a little historical context, we've been asking the legislature for some resources for the last several years, saying this is not just a St. Paul problem, this is a statewide problem. In the 70s, they put $70 million into helping communities deal with the Dutch elm disease. To date, we have received zero from the state uh, in terms of help. Uh, if we can get some state assistance, we can get trees pl replanted a lot quicker. Okay. Uh, I, I thought I saw another hand here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go back up, and then I'll come back down here quick. Uh, yeah. This is in regards to your um, sing, whatever the rest read. Uh, 18 years ago, when I was working with child care workers, and the state was talking all about literacy, it sounds the same. So I'm wondering what else you're including that's different, and I'm hoping that there'll be an economic piece because I'm also a teacher, and most of my parents are working at least two jobs. And if you've been laid off or working two or three jobs, the chance of <laughs> having that kind of time goes out the window. So we've heard you know, what you said for quite a few years. And I'm wondering, what will be the economic piece to support parents doing that? Well, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, what's different from 18 years ago, looking forward, is I'll be governor and I'll actually get it done. Um, <laughs> second of all, uh, I thought that was funnier than it was, but apparently, you know. <laughs> know. What do you do when, yeah, what do you do when this just, just keep going? Right, so anyways. <laughs> Uh, but but that 
so absolutely our parents are the the financial strains on our parents the 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 you know working two jobs or three jobs or four jobs uh absolutely critical and you come home exhausted but that child is with somebody uh they're with a daycare provider they're with with they're with it, it may be relative care it may be in a center um you, you know and so the so it's it's making sure that whoever it could be a you know if a grandparent is taking care of that child um it is it is not about plopping our two-year-olds in front of TV sets and watching Teletubbies and thinking that's going to do what needs to be done. Um, and so it's, an, it's really an education campaign to make sure that whoever that caregiver is, uh, if it's a parent or a relative or a professional, uh, that, they, that they know that you know, a, this is an important thing to do. Um, and again, you know, from my perspective, it's to support what's happening in the classroom and support what, what the teachers are doing. My whole approach to working on education has been to say, look at our teachers are working their butts off and they're doing a really good job. Um, but as a community, we're failing the educational system because the child spends 80% of their time outside the classroom and only 20% of their time inside the classroom. What happens after school? What happens on weekends? What happens during the course of the summer? Hugely important. The freedom schools in the city, you, well, you start me talking on education, and I get a little passionate about it. Well, and but, that's, but I do but want to make sure that I we touch on the, before, just on the yeah, yeah. just on the freedom schools, uh, which are which we have established in this in the city of St. Paul, uh, particularly in the Frogtown and the Rondo neighborhoods. The summer learning loss is eliminated when a kid attends a freedom school during the course of the summer. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they progress through the course of the summer. And summer learning loss is perhaps the number one reason why there's the achievement slash opportunity gap. It's not about what's happening in the classrooms as much as it's what's happening outside the classrooms, and that's what we need to start controlling for. And I just want to make sure that we circle back, because she was, I, and maybe you see it as slightly uh, a parallel or different, but this economic piece that, you know, uh, how do you, you work on the, the education piece, but if mom and dad are each working, you know, 18 hours a day, how, how do they have time, can we, how do we uh, build that into the formula that you're thinking about? Well, again, I, I think some of it is working on economic issues, uh, whether it's minimum wages or whether it's uh, earn safe and sick time, so that if a child is sick, a parent doesn't have to choose between keeping their job or taking care of their sick child, or, or if they're a victim of domestic abuse, not having to choose between filing a restraining order or losing their job. Um, that's one of the things that we worked on in the city of St. Paul. So the economic issues are at the core, as I said, you know, when some, the, the earlier question about what are kind of top priorities, making sure that parents have good-paying jobs that, are, that allow them to, to not have to work 70, 80 hours a week uh, just to keep, their, to keep their mortgage paid. Um, and so this is a whole range of issues, and I think there's a, there's a lot of folks that are working on it, um, but, but it starts, you know, it starts, quite frankly, with making sure that we're training our, our workers to the skill sets that are necessary to take their place in the 21st century workforce. There are 25,000 jobs right now in the state of Minnesota that, that are unfilled because we don't have skilled workers that are capable of taking those jobs. Those are jobs that pay a lot of money uh, that would provide wages for families. We need to match our, our, our skill sets with the, uh, the needs of our employers. Can I just, uh, one last follow-up, and I promise, I know I have other hands here. Uh, you mentioned uh, minimum wage and things. Uh, I believe all five of the folks running to be your successor have uh, uh, endorsed a $15 minimum wage with some carve-outs and exceptions in certain areas. Is that something that you think that the city of St. Paul should do? I think it's something that the state of Minnesota should do uh, because the number one complaint that I have from employers 
is the inconsistent policies between Minneapolis and Bloomington and Egan and all. So if you're, an, if you're a business that has locations across the metropolitan area, you might have 15 jurisdictions and you can't follow 15 different rules. We need a statewide, quite frankly, we need a national uh, uh, policy addressing uh, real wages for, for So workers. something like $15 uh, if you were governor, like statewide would be something? Yes. Okay. Uh, I had a question. Oh, I'll go up there, but I did have one here. Oh, sorry. I confused blue shirt. Sorry. That's all right. Okay, I'm going to bite. When you are governor. Uh, Why, thank you. <laughs> how, gonna... how will you, uh, would you be able to influence the male representatives now that seem to leave the House floor when the female representatives are giving their speeches? Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, Yes, number one. Well, no, I don't think they let the governor in those in those rooms either. So uh, I don't know if I, I get back there. Look, at, here's the point on that, and I think everybody knows, uh, hopefully everybody knows what we're talking about, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, Representative Melissa Hortman uh, criticized some of her colleagues for being in the back room playing poker, uh, and uh, while, while five representatives of color, all women, we're talking about the real-world impacts of the policies that they were about to pass on the floor of the state house. And, and so while all these people were playing poker, and they happened to be all white males, um, they, the, the, the information that they needed to make those decisions was being talked about, and they weren't paying attention to it. And that's why I think, first of all, it's just damn disrespectful. Uh, second of all, uh, a, a hero of mine is a guy named Brian Stevenson, who is an attorney that worked on capital death penalty cases across the country. And he once said to a legislator, he said, sir, you, you have the power to make decisions that affect millions of lives. You have a duty to know more than you obviously do. Uh, one of my favorite attacks of all time on a politician, you have a duty. And pe they have a duty to listen to the voices of those folks that have been represented that have a perspective that they may not have heard or have, have considered. Um, and so I'd rather talk about the fact of what Ilhan Omar said on the floor than, than the fact that uh, there were some folks that weren't paying attention because what she said was pretty powerful. Uh, and we need to start listening more to those voices uh, and start, uh, start actually governing in a way that, that enhances the lives of the people they represent. Okay, we had one way up here, yeah. One of the issues which seems to be hurting the... Uh, I hear a voice, but I don't see anybody. Oh, there you are. One of the issues... I thought it was God. <laughs> I anoint you, no. Uh, <laughs> one of the issues that seems to be hurting the DFL uh, on the range is the mining jobs versus the environment. And uh, it's such a sticky issue, and I was wondering how you would go about trying to resolve that kind of a issue. Absolutely. First of all, I don't believe in zero-sum games. I don't believe that you either are on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle. Uh, I am a passionate advocate for the environment. The work that we've done in the city of St. Paul for the last 12 years has been to make sure that St. Paul was front and center in dealing with issues like climate change and clean water. Uh, and, and, you know, I was criticized when I was running in 2005 for mayor because I said the first thing I was going to do was change, uh, to, to uh, sign the mayor's climate agreement. Uh, that was being pushed by the U.S. Conference of Mayors, and the, the then current mayor said he thought that that was a meaningless gesture. So I took office, I signed that agreement, and since then, St. Paul has become one of the leaders on renewable energy and strategies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I think that, and, and, and the Boundary Waters are among the most special places on this globe. 
and we, can, we cannot do anything that affects the quality of the boundary waters. And we can't have a gun held at the boundary waters for the next 500 years determining whether or not the, a pile of wastewater is going to break and, and damage the boundary waters. But I don't stop at that premise. Uh, I, it's, I start there. And then the next question is, so how do we do what we need to do to, you know, it, uh, my cell phone's been broken all weekend, so I don't have it with me. Uh, but if you, if you use your cell phone, those are the minerals that are up on the iron range right now. If you, if you want to have a renewable energy economy, uh, solar and wind uh, and Tesla batteries, you have to have those minerals. And getting them from China or some other place where they don't care about environmental standards doesn't really make me feel better about that. I want to use the brain power and the technology that we have in the state of Minnesota to ask the question, can we do this successfully in a way that doesn't threaten the boundary waters? If we can't, then we won't do it. But if we can, then we'll be the leader and show the rest of the world how we can do that. That's what Minnesota's about, and I think we can do that. To just press on that, I mean, you know, a risk analyst would say, well, there's always going to be some amount of risk, so what amount of risk are you comfortable with? Or, or uh... Well, I... That's the question that we have to analyze, and I think that you know there there isn't a point at, that we know right now what exactly that risk is, and do we have redundancies built in, and and <clears throat> you know do we have do we have there are there are tons of uh, examples of mines that the the um, landscape was was left barren that was left at risk um, that were unsuccessful. We saw what happened out in Colorado. Uh, when that when that holding pond broke and turned that river orange, uh, just this last year, um, but there are others. There are other examples. If you invest resources and if you actually invest in the technology to make sure that that doesn't happen, so that's what we have to answer. So there, of course, there's no absolute certainty in anything that we do in life. Mm -hmm. But I think that we can get to the point where we know whether or not the boundary waters is at risk. And if it's if it's at risk, then we don't do it. If it's not at risk, then it's important for the generations of folks that have depended upon the mining, and more importantly, for those of us that care about climate change, that know that the answer and solution to climate change is renewable energy, and know that those minerals are absolutely 100% critical to, to uh, uh, renewable energy so uh, sources, uh, then we have an obligation to figure out how we can do this right. Okay, I have a very enthusiastic hand over here. Hi, Chris. Thanks for your comments on the BWCA. Um, as a By the way, his, his father did more to save the boundary waters than any other human being. <laughs> <laughs> as a fellow St. Paulite, I'm very proud that my mayor has been uh, doing this thing called crash dice for the several past winters. Didn't see you yesterday on Easter Sunday before the wild game, but I'm just wondering if you'll take that uh, show on the road for uh, the rest of the state and maybe perhaps with your wife's permission, go down some crazy street in Duluth. That, you know, do you know that crashed ice, actually, the concept started in Duluth? They just basically took a, a fire hose on uh, a hill at Spirit Mountain and people skated down it. <clears throat> that didn't work out really well. Um, so does everybody know what crashed ice is? Don't, don't. You should explain. Okay, so, so uh, if you took motocross, roller derby, hockey, wrestling... Um, and St. Patrick's Day and threw them all into one event, uh, you would have crashed ice. So they, it starts at the top of the cathedral. It's on a course like a luge course, and you go down on your hockey skates and with all your equipment. And so the, uh, well, this is, a, so backing up just a little bit, 
when I was first in office um, as mayor, they came in, uh, Red Bull came in and said, hey, mayor, we want to do this thing. Uh, we want to do a bike race through your Skyway system. So we did a bike race through our Skyway system. Uh, and then they came and, and I said, do you do that thing where you skate through the streets, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we just do that in Canada. We don't do that anywhere else. So a couple of years later, they came back and they said, hey, mayor, we got this idea. We want to build a platform in the Mississippi River's three stories high and have people try to fly off of it uh, and crash into the Mississippi River. I said, sure, it sounds great to me. Let's, let's do it. But you guys... I'm, do- I'm getting more and more nervous about you as governor all yeah, of a sudden. No, like, seriously. Somebody seriously. comes in your office and they're like, so- hey, I got this crazy idea. People might get hurt. You, you can count Whatever. on us trying it if we do that. But so so that kept on I kept on pushing and then finally they said okay we'll do this crashed ice thing we built it up by the cathedral which in and of itself was controversial it's like how do you build a skating course across the front of the cathedral but it turned out really well and it's this, it's this wonderful thing it's the most successful event that crashed ice does so I finally asked him I said so why did you guys start doing uh, events in St Paul because it's really been this great partnership and they said well to tell you the truth we actually went over to Minneapolis and asked if we could do a bike race through the Skyway system, and they said no. Do do you remember what you said when we asked you? I said no. You said, can my son and I be the first ones on the course? (laughs) So... Being you, a leader is taking risks. Well, you, <laughs> I just I didn't realize Minneapolis and St. Paul had this like no, well go ask dad kind of relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, go go ask the easy one. They'll do it. Yeah, they'll do it because we were trying to get people to come to St. Paul. Remember, and so we started doing some of these events. That and so uh, I, you've said very I think articulately that uh, part a big part of being mayor is being a. Uh, cheerleader and whatnot so again you're running for governor how much of that do you think is part of your job and and how would you do that as part of your job balanced with some of the very serious policy things we've talked about i want to be the number one cheerleader for the state of minnesota and i and i will tell you and and i know that this is a nonpartisan crowd um (laughs) come on we're in south minneapolis are you kidding um the <laughs> we try. I know, but uh, seriously, have this in Egan sometime. I would love to. <laughs> try. If uh, anyone from Egan is in the audience, I I will be there. Good, yes. Um, but, but we had a governor. Um, let's just call him Pim Talenti. Um, who? You're on your own. Who, Go ahead. Who, <laughs> His, his job as, as governor of the state of Minnesota was to try to build business and build the economy and to bring companies into the state and to keep companies here, and then ran around the country telling everyone how horrible it was to do business in the state of Minnesota. He would go and give speeches when he was trying to run for president, and he would sit there and say, "Don't Minnesota's a horrible place to do business. It's a terrible climate. It's a terrible blah, blah, blah. He didn't go around and talk about the fact that we have more college-educated people in the state of Minnesota that per capita than any place else in the entire country. He didn't talk about our quality of life. He didn't talk about the University of Minnesota. He didn't talk about education systems. He didn't talk about uh, all of the things that, that those of us that choose to live in Minnesota to raise our families here love about this state. Instead, he ran it down. If you're a governor of the state of Minnesota and you're running around the country saying, don't come and do business in the state of Minnesota, you should be fired. Uh, I want to be the champion. I want to be the cheerleader for the state of Minnesota. I've been that for the city of St. Paul for the last 12 years. Uh, And if the voters uh, don't mind me doing crash dice every once in a while, hopefully I'll become governor.
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please a big round of applause. Mayor Chris Coleman. Thank you for listening. This entire season was supported by the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council and the Legacy Amendment. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see an upcoming show, you can find out more information by going to our website at www.t2p2.net. You can also find out about upcoming shows by finding us on social media, either on Facebook, Twitter, or signing up for our email list. We hope to see you sometime soon. Thanks.